So yesterday we talked, uh, kind of introducing the idea of um, of what does masculinity, what does manhood, what does being a man look like, uh, kind of for y'all in sort of this unique time in space uh, in which you exist. And we started with kind of God's original design for what that looks like. Uh, to uh, we really, like I said, we have two choices. Really, we can look to uh, culture and everything around us, kind of our world around us, to define uh, what that looks like, or we can go to uh, the source. Uh, we can go to God, who uh, who designed it and who set it into place, and who uh, had Moses write it down so we could read it. So that's where we were yesterday. What does uh, a man? Uh, kind of what is his original intention? What was his original kind of job description? And today we're going to trans, uh, we're going to kind of transfer a little bit uh, down to uh, the New Testament. And uh, instead of looking at kind of job description, we're going to look at uh, what is sort of some of the character traits uh, that uh, that God set in place uh, for His uh, men to kind of rule the world. Um, and so, I'll get to your question here in a second. Uh, so that's where we'll uh, that's where we'll camp out today. I told you a little story about my grandpa yesterday. How uh, I was sent to uh, to work for him. I told you a little bit about Farmer Frank and kind of what he was like. And uh, today I'm going to tell you about my friend Dennis. Uh, my friend Dennis, I met him when I was uh, 20, 22 or so. And hey, I need you two to stop. So you can grab a seat. Like grab a seat on the floor. You don't need to sit on the arm of the chair. Uh, both of you feel sit on the floor. Yeah, look at you, green shirt on the floor. You're going to talk too much if you sit there. Here we go. Um, and so uh, I met my buddy Dennis when I was I was 22 or so, and I had left my parents' house. My parents had just gotten a huge divorce. Uh, it was really uh, like really messy, really bad, and uh, and so I left town. I'd, I'd been working at a factory. I made some car parts for a few years. And the factory shut down, uh, so I had moved and then took a job working construction and uh, worked with this guy named Dennis who, uh, he didn't necessarily look like a construction worker, kind of what you think one looks like, um, but I quickly found out on the job that uh, Dennis was very interested in, uh, not in just building the houses, but in also kind of shaping uh shaping younger men uh, into uh, folks who are kind of useful to society. And um, and he would share the gospel with me every day when we worked together. Uh, and he was the boss, and he would be down in like the dirt with us. Uh, he could have sat in the truck. Uh, he could have been there and just barked orders at us. Uh, he could have been kind of a drill sergeant if he wanted. He owned the company. He could do whatever he wanted. But his leadership style was to be down in the muck with us. Um, you have uh, youth pastors, youth leaders here with you. And that's what they're doing. Uh, we could find, There are a thousand camps all over the world we could send you to, and we don't have to go to it. Um, but your your youth leaders care about you uh, and love you enough that they'll say, "Hey, I'll I'll go ahead and leave my wife at home. Uh, I'll leave my kids at home, um, and I'll come and sleep on a 
crap mattress and uh, with no Wi-Fi and um, and li- and and kind of spend time with y'all. Uh, and they do it because they love you. Uh, so when you spend some time with your leader today, uh, tell them thanks. It really is a big deal to them. Um, and, and and be sincere about it. They, they really do kind of give up a ton. Sure, they might get paid. It doesn't matter. Um, it's hard work. And, uh, and they do it because they have looked out at the world and seen you guys and said, um, these are men that can change the world. Uh, you're all men that can change the world. You really are. And um, when we get to where we'll be today, which will be uh, the book of 1 Timothy, if you have your Bible with you, uh, flip to 1 Timothy. It's in the New Testament, about uh, kind of two-thirds of uh, the way through the Bible, you'll see it there. Uh, the book of 1 Timothy is the book uh, that Paul, uh, who's one of the apostles, uh, it's a letter that he wrote to Timothy. Uh, y'all, Paul was Paul was a man. Uh, we heard you heard um, John talk about this in large group a couple nights ago. Uh, that Paul was, you know, the the Pharisee of Pharisees. Uh, he held the coats for all those people that stoned and killed Stephen. Uh, tormented the church. Uh, was just terrible. Uh, to the church. Uh, but then he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus. Uh, he goes blind for a few days, which is wild. He meets this guy named Ananias who puts his hands on his face and then he can see again. Um, and then Paul, uh, Paul really gets to work. And he starts writing letters. Uh, he starts uh, traveling around. Uh, he starts preaching a ton of different places. Um, First Timothy. 1 Timothy 3. Uh, he starts teaching a bunch of different places. Uh, he is shipwrecked, like his boat wrecks a couple times. Uh, well, then times when his boat wrecked, he then got bit on the hand by a snake. Uh, this is a real bad day. And uh, he was, you know, he had rocks thrown at him. He was beaten up, thrown in prison, all this crazy stuff. And we get to the book of Timothy, and Paul's coming to the end of his life. Um, he knows that uh, in in AD 60, in the year of of 60, it was not a good time to be a Christian, and uh, he knew he was going to be killed. And so he's writing letters uh, to Timothy to, to to really talk about how this work is going to go on. He's grooming Timothy. He's discipling him. He would have been Timothy's youth leader, right? Timothy was kind of a young guy. Um, and before he goes to die, he's now leaving Timothy with these ideas of, hey, um, this Christianity can take over the world. Uh, the world can really be a different place. Uh, the world can, can really encounter Jesus. And this movement can go on. And he's telling Timothy, look for men who have uh, certain qualifications, uh, certain uh, character traits, if you will. Um, and he said there are a few distinguishable qualities that a man of God possesses. Uh, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, what does a man of God look like? Talked about yesterday, kind of what he does, but what does he look like? Uh, who is a man uh, that is worthy of being followed? A man worthy of 
uh, somebody falling in love with him, uh, raising a family, things like that. What does uh, what does he uh, what does he look like? So let me read. Uh, to, we'll read First uh, Timothy three one through seven, um, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. So let's give our attention to reading God's word. Saying it's trustworthy and true, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, he must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own house, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and evil and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Let's pray together. Uh, Jesus, we hear this uh, list that you have for us, and we're, uh, we're really undone by it. Uh, we should be uh, kind of scared of it. And so we ask that uh, you remind us that you love us first. Uh, that we are children of you, of your Father. That we are uh, siblings with you. Uh, that you love us. Uh, that you bring us into your family. Uh, this morning as we look at uh, the future a little bit. We ask that you would have... Uh, a ton of grace, a ton of compassion and mercy for us. And it's in your son's name we do pray. Amen. Uh, thanks, y'all. Um, so let's dive in here. So what does a respectable man look like? What does a real man look like? Uh, first and foremost, uh, if you want to know what a, a real man is and what a real man does, uh, you have to look at Jesus. Uh, Jesus Christ is is the prototype. Um, he's the perfect representation of what this means. Um, and I understand that this, for you growing up, if you've grown up in church, uh, that this might sound uh, a little trite. Uh, you're probably a little bored with it. Um, but I would want you to look and see... Uh, what Jesus does and who he is and how he acts. Um, if you look at how he handled people, uh, he was he'll, he'll really shatter any kind of cultural definition that you probably have. Um, because he was he was tender and and kind of soft and kind uh, enough to to welcome children. Uh, like children weren't afraid to go up to him. Uh, he would cry with widows. Uh, he was also at the same time strong enough and angry enough that he would flip over tables when he got to the temple and saw that they had uh, really made a mockery of the they sacrificial system. Sure. Sure. Um, and he was he was angry enough to flip over tables. Uh, he was angry enough to confront folks who would have um, would have beat down the poor, uh, would have made fun of folks, would have roasted folks. Jesus was very was very quick to confront them. Um, and on the night that he was betrayed, uh, one of his friends for three years. Uh, Judas is going to sell him for, literally sell him for money. 
uh, he's going to trade him for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, this would be... Um, Jesus knows, y'all, what it's like to have a friend stab him in the back. Uh, he knows what it's like uh, to have really bad friends. And so he walks into this room where Judas is there. Uh, Judas is going to go sell him, um, and then he's going to be killed. And uh, he looks at Judas and he says, Hey, whatever you're going to do, Judas, go and do it quickly. We both know what's going on here, man. Um, Go and do your business, and then I'm going to go and march to a cross. Uh, He was very stern, uh, but also very meek. And the first thing that a man has to see before anything else, uh, before you can make any headway here, is that uh, there's only one God, um, and it's not you. Uh, A man uh, never elevates himself above Jesus. They are submissive and they follow him. A man has to see that he's desperately dependent on Jesus for salvation. Uh, desperately dependent on Jesus to make sense of his life. Uh, This is what we, uh, as your youth leaders, come to you uh, and spend a ton of time with you to see um, that it is only Jesus that can make sense of life for you. Uh, Your youth leaders can help you get there, and they do a great job of that. Um, But if your life is chaotic, Jesus is the one who makes sense of that. He can make sense of your friendships, of the hurts that have done to you in your past, uh, the the, the anger and the toil and just the frustration that you feel now, uh, the things that you'll encounter in your future. Um, We have to look to Jesus first. Uh, He is the, uh, the ultimate one. I'll get back to you in a second. Uh, just save all your questions to the end and I'll talk to you. Um, many of us have a standard in our lives that we used to measure uh, a man by. And oftentimes it's your own dad. Uh, for better or for worse. Uh, some of you love your dad. Uh, some of you hate to admit that you really don't like him that much. Um, I, I love my dad because I think I'm supposed to. Um, but he wasn't that good of a dad. Um, and so when we look at the love of the Father to us, we're always running it through kind of what we think about our own parents. Um, if they're great, sometimes you view God as being great. If they're terrible, you wonder, had the other father that I have was awful. Uh, why would I trust this one? Um, it doesn't take long before we see that even the best of dads are going to fail us. And the best of dads are going to let us down. Um, so Jesus is the standard and, uh, and we fall far short of that. So a man has to live with conviction uh, that God did something for him that he couldn't do for himself. Uh, we have to look to Jesus and see Him as uh, as perfect, see Him as the one who loves us, uh, and also see Him as the one who died because we couldn't be perfect. Uh, so Jesus is always the first uh, kind of example of this. Um, and, you know, ask yourself, like, do I, do I really believe this? Uh, do I really believe that Jesus is who He says He is? 
uh, I would I would urge you to take some time this week and and really contemplate that. Really think long and hard about uh, who Jesus is to you. Uh, he can handle your answer. Um, he knows he knows it all. Um, so think long and hard about who he is, kind of what you think about him. Um, when you when you get angry, are you angry about your sin? Are you angry about the things that uh, are separating you from Jesus? Um, the way that you kind of respond to your friends, the way you react to your parents, uh, the way you react uh, kind of internally to the world around you. Uh, do those things make you angry? Uh, do you get as angry about sin as you do about... Uh, when the Wi-Fi doesn't work, uh, um, or when you get, you know, your fantasy football team goes south, um, where where does the anger that you feel, where is that directed to? Where does it come from? Uh, so we have to see Jesus as uh, the first and best example of what a man is. Um, and then secondly, we're going to look kind of into what Paul uh, Paul says here. He's going to outline uh, some character traits uh, for us. So we'll go through 1 Timothy 3 and kind of check that out. Um, but the first thing he says is that a godly man is one who looks like one. Um, a godly man is someone who makes others want to follow Jesus. Um, there are traits that every man that loves Jesus should want uh, to move others toward. Um, so if you're here and you're saying, yeah, I love Jesus. I, I care deeply about him. Um, the, the biggest and best sign of that is that you're moving other people toward that. Uh, everything revolves around your character. Uh, it's kind of who you are when the door is closed. Uh, who you are when nobody else is looking. Uh, that is really a good measure. We want so badly uh, to really compartmentalize our spiritual life from everything else. Uh, we want to have uh, like our church world and our church friends over here. And that doesn't really like intersect with anything I'm doing uh, sports-wise, school-wise, or anything like that. Uh, but the Bible is far more concerned with who you are than, than the things that you do. Uh, it's, it's far more concerned with who you are than the things you are defining your life by. It's, it's more concerned with who you are when the door is closed. Um, ask yourself that question, who, who am I when, when the light's not on me? Uh, when I'm, uh, you know, you're in that twilight zone between uh, your head hitting the pillow and you falling asleep, where it's just kind of you and your thoughts. Uh, that's that's the moment where we see kind of who we really are. Um, so think of those two things. Uh, it's always Christ that defines who we are. And second, what is my character? Uh, you want to know the answer to this question? Ask your youth leader. Hey, man, what what am I like? Uh, what's what's your character? What is uh, who are you when the doors are closed? Uh, when you're when you're not trying to impress your friends, uh, who who is it that you are? Um, do you even have alone time? Um, you know, is it uh, when you start to feel bored or scared? Uh, it's so easy to want to reach for your phone to to sort of solve that. Um, but Jesus comes to deal with who you are in that moment, right? He's dealing with who you are in that in-between time. Uh, 
So the next thing that Paul does is he sort of gives us a little list. Uh, you'll see this kind of in the rest of 1 through 7. And, uh, and we won't hit all these because it's, kind of it's a really long list and some of it, um, it wouldn't be really wise uh, for me to kind of enter into that with you without knowing you and knowing your parents really well. But we'll, um, we'll kind of hit on a few of these. And the first is that, uh, the first thing Paul says to Timothy is that uh, a man is above reproach. He's above reproach. Um, this just means that your character to the world is obvious. Uh, that there's no, like, uh, there's nothing fake. Um, with the high schoolers that I work with back in Nashville, uh, a lot of them hate it when you're fake. Uh, does that drip down to y'all? Is that in y'all's world? Um, that you have a friend who's cool with you in the front, um, and then a couple days later you're like, man, I, I thought we were buddies, and you just dined me out. Um, a man that's above reproach is one whose character is obvious, uh, that he's the same person out there that he is in here. Um, that when you're at uh, church, when you're at school, uh, when you're at your sports teams, you're the same person at each one. Uh, that your uh, behavior and your uh, kind of attitudes shouldn't be surprising between the three. Uh, that's what being above reproach is like. Uh, that you can stand uh, confident in knowing who you are. Uh, that a man is, is confident in who he is. Uh, it is, uh, is what you put forth uh, really who you are. Um, that's another good question to kind of ask yourself. Do you have to say things uh, you know, in one group to kind of explain yourself to another? Are you always kind of the same person at the same time? Um, does it terrify you uh, to ask your friends about this? Does it terrify you to ask your friends, kind of, hey, how do you see me? Um, being above reproach is, is a big deal and, and the first thing that Paul lines out for Timothy. The second thing he says is that he is... Um, that he's respectable because he's hospitable. Uh, I, I, I kind of bragged on Hayden a little bit yesterday, uh, but being hospitable means that you are friendly and kind to whoever comes up to you. Uh, that uh, how are you treating folks who are different than you are? Uh, you're around about 600 other folks who are all different than you. Um, how are you treating them? Uh, you make fun of them, are you roasting them, um, are you ignoring them, uh, who's the weird kid at, in the lunchroom at your school that nobody else sits with, um, who's the, think about the person kind of in your life that would be really social suicide if you hung out with them. Um, a hospitable man treats everyone well. He's kind to his family. Um, he's kind to uh, the person he's dating. He's kind to the person he marries. Um, someone who's hospitable um, and caring and kind. Um, or do you have the sort of uh, attitude that really repels people? Um, are you? Have you manufactured your life in such a way that nobody can really get to know you? Um, you can be incredibly extroverted and wild, kind of life of the party, uh, yelling at folks, trying to make tons of jokes. Uh, you can be that guy and keep people away from you. 
Uh, or you can be incredibly introverted, uh, shy, ignoring everyone, um, and you can still keep people away from you. Uh, the motive is the same. Uh, you don't want folks knowing who you are. Because uh, it's terrifying to throw yourself out there uh, and with the possibility of getting hurt. So uh, a godly man is hospitable. Uh, he extends grace and kindness to other folks. Um, and then lastly, he's teachable. Uh, Timoth- Paul tells Timothy here that a, God, that a man of God is one who can be taught something. Uh, he knows that the Word of God, that Scripture, uh, is where he goes to meet the God of the Word. A respectable man yearns to be around places that he knows he can encounter Jesus. Uh, do your parents have to kind of drag you uh, to church? Uh, do your parents have to kind of drag you to youth group? Does your youth leader have to drag you to breakfast and to large group and to devotional times? Um, I, I know the answer is yes, because I know who you are. Um, but a godly man is one who looks and says, hey, that's where God is. This is where I can encounter Jesus. This is where I can get closer to Him. So that's where I want to be. And uh, And please hear me... Uh, you're not going to change because your youth leader wants you to. Uh, you're not going to change because your parents want you to. Um, I have uh, I have parents that email me all the time to say, "Hey, like my kid hates going to youth group, and we really want him to be there." Uh, is it possible you could change the songs that you sing? Or is it possible you could uh, play more games and do less scripture? Uh, is it possible uh, that you could switch things up? He, he, we really, really wanted to be there. But my answer is always the same. Like, that's not going to solve the problem. Like, we would love him to come, right? Uh, but he's only going to change if he encounters Jesus. And he's only going to change if he encounters the Holy Spirit. And... Uh, so, so gentlemen, a, a teachable man is one who is rooted in Jesus. Um, and he's one who knows him aside from what his parents say. Um, he doesn't go to church because his girlfriend makes him. Um, he is rooted and established in him. And, and I realize that this list sounds like it, it can be like incredibly guilt-inducing uh, or that it's something that you can't reach. But, but I, want, I want to close with this. Um, you all have a very deep desire to be significant. Um, you all want to know that you matter. Uh, you all want to know that your presence matters and that it makes a difference. Um, this is why you lose interest uh, with friends. Uh, this is why you lose interest with a lot of things uh, when the boredom comes and sets in. But I want you to know this. Uh, you're in, like, what you find in the arms of Jesus um, is you find a great deal of significance. Uh, that it is the God of the universe who comes and looks at you and says, uh, You matter. For some of you, that's not a surprise because you think too highly of yourself. 
Um, for some of you, it is because you feel like you're the worst. We talked about this last night. Are you self-critical or self-righteous? Um, but the thing is this. Uh, the sin that has separated you, uh, the, the agony you feel, the sadness that you feel, um, the confusion and the frustration of, of middle school is very real. Um, and it's hard to want to lean into it. It's hard to want to think about it. Uh, but I want to tell you that you have, a, you have a Father in God who loves you dearly. Um, who went to a cross and, and died for you and rose again. Um, you have a, a Father in God who undoes all the pain and hurt done to you by your heavenly, or by, rather by your earthly Father. Um, in all the places that uh, your family has failed you and your friends have, have failed you and you failed yourself, uh, Jesus is standing there uh, and He's calling out to you. Uh, there's a great deal of significance there. Um, gentlemen, lay down your swords. Uh, lay down uh, the pride and the sin and the anger and run to Him. Um, he is for you. Uh, let me pray for us uh, and I'll let you go a little early. Father God, you're good to us. Uh, we're so thankful uh, for you. Uh, thankful for these guys. Uh, ask that as uh, we go throughout our day that they would uh, be reminded of who they are, uh, that they are uh, warriors in your kingdom, uh, that they are uh, loved deeply by you, um, and that you have a plan for them um, as they interact and grow uh, to make them more like your son Jesus. And for that we're thankful. Uh, it's in his name we do pray. Amen. Thanks y'all.